most heretical podcast about the New Jedi Order. I'm your host, Megan, sharing my spot today with Rocky and Bria. This month, we'll be talking about Traitor by Matthew Stover, the long-awaited, possibly darkest edition in a dark series in which we ask the big questions like, who is Jason Solo? What is the moral structure of the Force? And how many disgusting sounds are allowed in one Star Wars book? So grab your villip and enjoy the show. As a reminder, here on the Vaughn cast, we don't talk about spoilers for future books in the series, but we do go through today's book pretty thoroughly. So if you haven't read it yet, please pause the recording, read the book, and come back and join us. So um, usually we read the back of the book. Um, Bria, you're good at it, but oh, good. this is like the one... Do you want to do it this time? Or since Rocky and I have so many feelings about this book, do you I, think one of us should do the, the, the blind reading? I oh, let's do it. have a minute in the spotlight. <laughs> let's be real. This may be the most I talked this recording because the two of you have so many feelings. And I thought I had feelings. And then I opened the show notes and I went, oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, then, how about um, you do the job you're good at and read... <laughs> The back of the book. Not that you're not good at other jobs. Why we're just here to make cracks about the... Okay. Um, (laughs) Okay, let me... I haven't actually... I made it a point to not turn the book over until just now. So. From the depths of catastrophe, a glimmer of hope. After the capture of Coruscant, the mighty heart of the New Republic, a stunned galaxy fears that nothing can stop the Yuzen Vong. Still... That crushing defeat produces one small miracle. Jason Solo is alive, yet he can scarcely imagine himself in stranger circumstances. The young Jedi Knight is in the care of Verger, a fascinating creature of mystery and power. Her intentions hard to fathom. Her cruelty is rarely concealed. But this master of inscrutable arts has much to teach the young Jedi, for she holds the key to a new way to experience the Force, to take it to another level. Dangerous. Dazzling. Perhaps deadly? In the wrong hands, the tremendous energies of the Force can be devastating, and there are others watching Jason's progress closely, waiting patiently for the moment when he will be ready for their own dire purposes. Now, all is in shadows. Yet, whatever happens, whether Jason's newfound mastery unleashes light or darkness, he will never be the same Jedi again. Dot, 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 dot. Excellent. (laughs) So, I feel like the contents of this blurb are different from the contents of the book in a way that most of them are not, because this book is so stylized that the back cannot possibly more be more dramatic than the interior. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah so- <laughs> uh, the back just makes me want to refer back to our usual spoiler warning on Vongcast, because many of the things I want to say about the back are no, Rocky. That I cannot no. today. No, Rocky. <laughs> you good. As soon as you get to the part with Jason Solo is alive, is I, having is read he? this book, goes, uh, is he? <laughs> Which is the first crux in many, like, choices about reality in this book. Which I yeah. love. And there were no accidental, like, sexual innuendos going on. Really, I'm just disappointed. <laughs> But all is in shadows. That's that's pretty good. That's, that's actually a very good phrase. <laughs> so 
this book it means a lot to me. Um, it kind of, along with lots of Stover's Star Wars works, it kind of told me, broke the mold of what was allowed in a tie-in book and the degree to which that book both interrogates and coexists with its original. And as I was reading this, this is a very dramatic book, but I think we all love it. I think especially if you come at it at wanting that, wanting kind of the whole world of Star Wars torn up around you and then built back up again painstakingly, you will love this book. Um, as I was reading it, I kind of realized that a lot, so much of who I am is who I am when I read this. It's the person that's asking questions about what is reality in the context of fiction, why do people make the decisions that they make? And also, here's a whole bunch of gross biotechnology. <laughs> and those things are all very important to me. <laughs> so this, uh, I think, like Jason, I often discover that the, uh, what is it, the question of why is deeper than its answer. So I'm not necessarily going to say that this book has anything deeply meaningful to say about me as a person, but it is it is kind of the person I feel most comfortable being is the person reading and thinking about this book. Yeah, this book means a ton to me because I happen to have had some good timing in my life when I first read it and it just kind of caught me off guard. I had no idea what I was getting into and I ended up in the middle of a long meditation on the nature of reality, the force, everything you have been told is a lie. So much of how this book sets up Jason's misadventures through Yuzhantar, I feel like it worked really well for me the first time I read it and I notice new details every time the massive contrast between thinking, moralizing philosophy and really gory, gross biotechnology and so on. Every time I read this book, it just makes me wonder, wait, how did I not realize how gross this was in the first place? But it's so artistically done. <laughs> <laughs> I see what you did yes, there. Yes, there is so, so much amazing imagery, great contrast and things that make you think for a good long while. And phrases I absolutely love. <laughs> so, I mean, as far as the grossness goes, I almost feel like that's part of the new Jedi Order in general. Is It's so... It takes Star Wars to that new level, so you almost in a way get desensitized to it until you come back like we are years later and you're paying so much closer attention to it. Then you're like, oh, oh, this is super gross. Yeah, I think I there's agree. definitely an aspect of that. And also having to talk to other people about it, too. I mean, we're not talking directly about it. But it's like a different thing when you're reading it to yourself as part of your like cinematic experience all almost. And a different thing when you're like, oh, my friends are going to hear me say these gross sounds. <laughs> <laughs> so the structure of this book is basically... To, if you were to break it into thirds, it would be two-thirds of Jason Solo kind of slowly descending through Yusantar and through what may or may not be the dark side, and then about one-third of Ganna Rysod and Jason together fighting to ultimately uh, uh, kind of manipulate Yusantar in a way that is hopefully less terrible. 
So the uh, character study of Jason is entirely what this book is about. And I think I've been, this book is one of the reasons why I tend to not want Star Wars books that are focused on one character to go out of the point of view of that character. There are point of views other than Jason's in here, but for a solid chunk of time, it's just Jason and occasionally Nominor. And that, to me, gave such a strong impression of we're really getting inside this person's head. It's kind of claustrophobic, and I love that that um, kind of technique. Uh, Rocky, do you have any thoughts about the overall like style before we get into, or maybe the structure before we get into the style? So... So earlier, you were referencing another literary work that has three major parts, and it just kind of hit me that it's been a good long while since I've encountered Dante's Inferno, but I somehow my brain is seeing the the three separate parts, Jason's crashing basically into the underworld, the weird, confusing Yuzhantar land of the dead, and then trying to figure out where do I really fit in the world? Do we return to the world of the living? And if so, when? <laughs> it's, wow, that was actually like a just this moment kind of realization. I notice something new every time I read this book, and it is a lot more free-flowing than I remember it being. Because I remember it being a lot less hard and fast chapters and more of, it's kind of slow going because it all flows together so well and you're reading so closely and suddenly you realize, wait a minute, what chapter am I even in? And then I refer to my giant pile of notes here and there. <laughs> Do you think that comes from staying within Jason's point of view as well? I think so. I think it really does because mm -hmm. there's, this is more of a style note, but especially within Jason's point of view, there's the kind of sense of real or not real unreality He's fully well aware that he's probably not perceiving things quite right, and we know that there are a lot of very unreliable narrators here. The sense of unreality, I think, contributes a lot to the very smooth but very weird kind of flow. Mm -hmm. And I think the prose itself contributes to that, too. It's probably a cliche at this point that, of course, Megan's going to talk about sentence structure and prose. But um, I want to read some of this dialogue that um, Verger says about describing herself, <laughs> um, in which she just kind of goes off in Matthew Stover style and says... Um, She's a messenger of melancholy, a herald of tragedy, bringing gifts to ease the grieved, a mourner with grave goods to decorate the tomb, a hierophant to perform the sacred offices of the dead. And that's, you know, four different, I think, quite evocative images all centered around this tomb that is Jason. And I find that very poetic and very creative. And it is really kind of what I love so much about this book. Um, and the, I think the dialogue in this, this is not, but a lot of the dialogue is naturalistic. A lot of it feels at least as smooth as other Star Wars books do. It's not like people speak in kind of a Shakespearean, like elevated fake tone, uh, but they have their own voices. And uh, as I probably will mention other times, Roger reminds me a lot of Kreia from Knights of the Old Republic 2, where she also speaks in these kind of poetic aphorisms that don't quite match up with other things we've heard about Star Wars morality. 
And we talked about some of that in the previous books with her. Yeah, we're still waiting for that fanfic. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes, audience. I mean. <laughs> oh, and there's the other like sentence that I flagged here was a few moments passed while Dovin Basals shimmer space time at each other, which is so capital W weird and so good and off. Also, I blame it for why I use the word moments so often in fiction. Any good quality my fiction has, probably I stole from this book, but also all the bad qualities of my fiction I stole from this book. <laughs> I feel like this book explains far too much about, about like how I got through my angsty teen here, so... <laughs> <laughs> um, it is... As we, I think, Bria, you made a good point earlier. We're saying it is violent, but it's not, like, necessarily more violent than the other books in the series. But it's just very, because the vocabulary is so varied. You're just like, oh, that's a new word for how it feels to be stabbed in the lung. Great. (laughs) Yeah. Matthew Stover is one of those writers who makes me just want to, like, flop on the ground dramatically and sob. Because I could never. Yes. I, it's mm-hmm. so gorgeously well done. Such beautiful description. Dialogue that feels and sounds very real. He's and the best the violence emotion, writer. The like, emotional impact. Ugh. Yeah. His his violence is beautiful. Which feels a weird <laughs> thing to say, but it's true. Yeah. And then, I, oh, I man. Darn you, Stover. <laughs> There's the part where he he switches into first person, or excuse me, not first person, present tense in an action scene. And I had forgotten that this happens. This is a thing. Present tense is used in fanfic a lot. And it's used in like really dramatic, really immediate, like people choose when to use it. It's not like it's just used by default. Like some people that write, write really intense fight scenes are really intense, like emotional confrontations. We use it specifically for that. And that's done in this book. And the rest of the book is in third person. And when I got to that part, it's this one big fight scene that's in present tense. And I was like, wait a second. This is allowed. I have known all along that this is allowed. And it was a very freeing moment for me. (laughs) Yeah, I loved the occasional use of present tense there particularly because there are so many moments of vague unreality and like the loss of sense of time, things like that. And I feel like the present tense almost works with that kind of, you know fully well what's happening, but it's a little unusual. It contributes well to the kind of weirdness. And it's so well done that it took my brain a little bit of time to realize that he was switching back and forth, mm-hmm. um, which may be in part because I was reading it. I was reading the the book very quickly on the Metro yesterday. But I think that's just part of why I like it so much. Like when he does when he goes from past to present, present just seems so right that you don't notice it until five pages later. You're like, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> wait a minute. Why do I suddenly feel this weird sense of immediacy? Yeah, and this is, I mean, and I write a lot of fanfic, so I'm just like, oh, this is familiar. Also, this is probably Stover's fault. (laughs) Oh, so many. Do you know how many fanfics were using either the Stover style 
or the this is how it feels to be whoever. Yes, yes, yes. so many. Yes, yes. Oh, Again, oh memories God. of well misspent teenage years. Absolutely. <laughs> I don't know. I hope he knows in a fond way that he had many, many imitators. <laughs> <laughs> Imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, let's talk about Jason. This, I have opened a can of, of tizzle worms by starting <laughs> my notes with what is truth? <laughs> now, that, now that I look at it, it was probably not a great idea. Oh, wait, I'm not even the right part of my notes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm talking about Berger or Jason. Hold on. Yeah, no, we're supposed uh, to be talking about Berger. I was just distracted by truth. Um, so, <laughs> Berger would probably uh, admire that. I mean, that's not inaccurate for what we're talking about. <laughs> everything she tells you is a lie. Yes. So Don't you know that everything that... she tells you is the truth? Well, this is going to be a problem. <laughs> um, yeah, I'd gotten the two sections switched, but we're going to talk about Virgil's philosophy. And she's... I, see, I don't know where to start. Um... She's very much putting Jason on the back foot intentionally. I think a lot of her questions are designed with her. You never know whether it's to help her or to help you or to help the third step of a 25-step master plan that she has. And it's probably all of those things. Um, I was reading... um, There's an interview with Stover talking about the force as described in Traitor, and he says, uh, I've always been a little bit bothered by the deification of the Force in the expanded universe. The Force is not God. It's not something out there, a unitary entity with its own will and intention. It's right here. A Jedi is part of it, and so is everything else. Um, And then he goes on to say, this is an interview with TheForce.net. He goes on to say, from my point of view, what Roger teaches Jason to become is far closer to what the Jedi are supposed to embody. Um, And that's closer than old Republic standards. Um, Even Luke, remember, doesn't end up destroying the bad guys. Instead, he allows his mere presence to save the one who can't be saved. So that is, I think really important to the idea of how he writes Roger, which is that she is seeing the force. He, I think he is an author intended to give the impression that Roger is seeing the force in a more true way than the Jedi do. I also think he succeeded in doing that in a way that isn't, that could have tipped over into edgy really quick. And like, there are parts of this that are arguably edgy, but I think the philosophy itself is not and that's because it, it doesn't feel like his interviews make it sound more like he's pushing back against an established idea, whereas Roger's philosophy feels very organic to Star Wars because the Force is demonstrably real. Like, the Force is not an entity, but it exists. I feel like that is a very different... That is a different conversation than if you were having the conversation about does any given deity that is worshipped by people in our world exists. Those things cannot be or have not been 
proven to in a way that is universal the force is universal like everyone like there's that quote about it's a philip k dick quote about the that which is reality is that which when you don't believe in it doesn't go away and i thought about that a lot as i was reading this book the force doesn't go away verger cannot take a stance that the force does not exist the i think she's dancing around that stance but the stance she is taking because it does exist is that the truth of what it seems to be is not what it actually is. And that the sides are not, the sides are kind of human constructs. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was really interesting reading like this view on force philosophy with the idea of you don't really know what Berger really wants, but what she's questioning Jason about you quickly get the idea that it's a fundamentally different understanding of the force than anything Jason has heard before. And and I think a lot of that has to do with how the Jedi have come to be in their present form. And the fact that Luke didn't really have like a Jedi cultural heritage to draw on or what he did have was fragmented and not really the greatest of sources. And then suddenly we're being kind of blindsided by a philosophy that, sounds like the force is a fundamentally different thing than any of us think it is more universal less black and white and just more a thing that is and the the moments of coexistence of jason's vong sense and the force seeing the vong sense pop up again the little moments of somehow this is all connected and there's something deeper going on here feeling that build I think it's a really good and important challenge to our concept of how the Force works, particularly when we're in the middle of a war where the Jedi cannot figure out really how to win it using what they've always had that has always let them win when the odds are against them. It's interesting that you say it lacks a Jedi cultural background because like, I think... That's kind of... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> The um, stop me if this is not where you were going with that, but that kind of reminded me of the way Jason kind of has a moral framework that is slowly picked away at throughout this book. Because when Vergeris says that force power requires surrender of control, which others see as the dark side, right? She says it is, sees it as freeing, and Jason has a lot of guilt about it. He sees it as well, if I use the dark side, I'm like a morally decrepit person. Verger says, no, moral decrepitude does not exist. But Jason can't really come to that. And I think yeah. if he had had some kind of cultural background that said, like, this is what this is what the dark side is, or this is like a structure that you're working within, he might have felt differently about this. Is that where you were going with that or not really? Kind of. Like, some of it was the massive disconnect between Verger's Old Republic Jedi knowledge and the fact that Luke basically was rebuilding the Jedi Order from, like, fragments of training materials, how he had to basically get turned into a functional Jedi quickly and not in a way that the Old Republic ever would have condoned. And... Mm -hmm. And, like, Luke teaching his Jedi Order, knowing there are a lot of gaps in his knowledge, and that there are not as many older Jedi 
or even their history to learn from, and therefore Jason, so over his head in this situation, it's like suddenly getting hit with a force philosophy that's just totally different and not something that any of the new Jedi Order whatsoever could probably cope with. It's really weird and interesting. One of the reasons that Roger particularly shows her Kraya side, by which I mean her disinterest in either helping people who will just then go on to be hurt or her plans that are like 12 steps long and is that she is furthering the use on Vong cause and helping Jason at the same time. Like she essentially, you kind of can't get around the fact that she essentially allowed for the destruction of Coruscant. She allowed for the Vong forming of Coruscant. She also allowed for the destruction of, or the, the changing. I keep saying destruction and just like Luke with Vader, Jason didn't kill the Durium. He, he had a moment with it. <laughs> um, he chose That it. sounds wrong. <laughs> it sounds so wrong, okay? <laughs> <laughs> no comment. <laughs> um, <laughs> he, that had to happen. The Vong forming had to happen before that could happen. So it was this like long step plan where she constantly is going back and forth between doing something that harms humanity and doing things that help it and I think there's some part of me is like well even though your your her philosophy is very interesting and I agree with some of what she says about the limitations of the force of, or the, the light side quote it's also like yeah but she also got a ton of people killed so that's still kind of dark right and yet we all know that Berger would say, yes, but I don't believe in that sort of thing, which, of course, is a whole different can of tizzo worms, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but, <Okay>. yeah. <laughs> I will say part of the reason that I love this whole thing is that she does go into, well, I don't believe in that. And then my brain immediately goes, yeah, but you're you're in fiction. You're a fictional character declaring something else fictional to be fiction, which I just love. Like, it's not deep. It's just fun. (laughs) It's, there are so many little, so many little things that just lead you down the rabbit hole of thinking and arguing, and wow. (laughs) So, um, Bria, I don't want to completely leave (laughs) Leave yes. you away, <laughs> even though you said you probably wouldn't say anything. Do you do you want to add anything about Verger before we go on to Jason? Just that I think it's interesting what you're saying about you know how she says she doesn't believe in the light or the dark. There's half of a thought that I'm working my way towards there, and it's if you if the Jedi say there's a light and a dark, and the Sith say there's a light and a dark. Then who's to say that they're any more right than she is that it doesn't exist? So if, if you're not a Jedi, I don't know. Like I, I guess the, I guess kind of it, it's tied to religion, right? Where, but does it make someone's should someone's beliefs be more be considered more valid than yours? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like, yes. but, but how do you actually define real? Now we're back to that. Exactly. Right? Which, I think is the thing of like, yeah. do you, if you don't believe in it, 
does it go away? Now we're back to that. The force doesn't yeah. go away. Yeah. Does the dark does the dark side have a manifestation that can be ar- arguably cannot go away? I guess that manifestation would be harm itself, right? Then you're too like then you're too a more I don't know what, what you call this in in philosophy, but like then you're too like anything that harms another person is dark, right? But then what do you consider as harming? Like is is using a force trick on someone and essentially altering their memory, does that count as harming someone? And that's something the light side uses a lot. Yeah. And, and, then, we, and then we take that into the argument. This is a Verger argument again. Yes. So you can kill all you want as long as you're doing it for the right reasons. Yeah. Because Verger and Jason sit around and have that argument and she pokes some very good holes in his thoughts about what is or isn't dark. Yeah, <laughs> that's a rabbit hole. Yup. See, this is another reason that this book and I really clicked well, because when I first read it, I was up to my eyeballs in uh, dealing with a system that I deeply disagreed with, namely a deeply religious high school that I kept butting heads with. <laughs> Things See, got interesting. That's, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. I was up to my eyeballs in a very, very deeply religious high school, and a lot of my fundamental views were very different. And this kind of helped me realize why I was so stubborn. <laughs> huh. Yeah. Like, kind of found me some peace in disagreeing with the structures around me. Mm-hmm. I think that might be a good way to kind of segue into... The part about Jason, um, <laughs> because I, we don't really need to start with, I feel like there's a better segue than, speaking of high school, let's talk about pain. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know who let me out of high school in one piece, but I'm, I'm positive that they're grateful that they're rid of me. <laughs> I'm grateful to be rid of most of high school for different reasons, but... <laughs> um. Yeah, so let's talk about, I mean, we've kind of been going over and over without directly saying this thing, which is, why is a question always deeper than its answer? I feel like we've pretty much covered that um, in terms of, like, he's being called out for overthinking, which I think, I like to think that since high school I've gotten better at identifying when I'm overthinking, but still need to work on it sometimes. I still can get a prize for overthinking. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and, like, we're not really trying to answer these questions, which is the whole thing, right? Like, is there an answer? Is there a meaningful kind of way to take from it? Um, an answer that's not only true but useful is what Verger says, and I really like that, that, like, idea of how do you use your truth once you find it. And Jason uses it by coming to understand that the Yusun Vong must exist in the Force in some kind of way, which I think is neat. Um, so, oh my gosh, there's so much. Um, and Jason's realization, ultimately, he decides to teach them a little bit about compromise by befriending the world brain and then telling it, by the way, mess with everything they do. I feel yeah. like it is an intensely Jason approach to the situation. 
but it's also a better intensely Jason approach to the situation than what he's usually done trying to deal with Yuzhan Bong, which has usually resulted in him needing to be rescued. I like that it brings in that connection to him and animals. And I like that this is like the darkest possible version of the story that basically ends with you should make friends with things and that will achieve what you want to achieve. Like he, he earns its trust and that's the whole story, right? That's how he achieves what he wants to achieve and gets some kind of control over Yisantar. And Berger is sitting there watching Jason in the middle of a ton of chaos and reminds everyone, you know, he's good at making friends. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that was excellent. <laughs> I, I want to talk to Berger so much when she's pretending to just be totally a normal advisor minion in Yuzhan Bong world. Okay, back to back to where we were. <laughs> her, yeah, her little aside, like, it's kind of, there's kind of an I told you so behind so many of her interactions with Nominor in this book. <laughs> <laughs> Again, we need a picture of Nominor and Berger in the get along shirt. Dear readers, readers, listeners, wow, okay. <laughs> so this is going to be an abrupt switch around in our notes, but that's okay. I just can't think of a better transition. Let's talk about pain. Um, the beginning of this book is Jason in a particular kind of embrace of pain, which is, I think, considered, I guess, especially bad. They talk about how even the Yusan Bong are, it is not considered shameful to, like, beg for death in this thing, even though the Yusan Bong are supposed to like it. And from that, we get a lot of his experiences filtered through this lens of pain and to me I don't have chronic pain per se but I have migraines and like a migraine for six hours kind of feels like the embrace of pain or what I imagine it would be so I definitely thought about this as in terms of like what does pain teach you and how do you kind of have to go through it and the kind of unsatisfying answer in the book was that once he got to that point where he could um kind of live in the pain and almost persuade the embrace that he was not feeling it anymore was kind of like the moment of triumph for him would you say that's right yeah and like that i don't think is super relevant to the real world like you're never gonna reach I don't think I I don't necessarily find it realistic that you're gonna like reach a moment of like understanding and your third eye will open because of your pain I think sometimes it's just pain and it's terrible but um I don't know Rocky you have more to say about this than I do yep I do what do you think about this (laughs) I do because I'm annoyingly familiar with chronic pain And the line that really hit me in the first place, the two things that really hit me were the line, it was just pain, plus Jason in the embrace of pain, he's thinking. He's thinking about all sorts of Vergera philosophy and other things, totally aside from it. And it really connected to me very well with from the Enemy Lines Part 2, where Tahiri reminds everyone, pain drowns other people. I just swim in it. I think it's a very true thing for a lot of people who've dealt with some serious chronic pain that your entire sense of pain ends up very warped because what you deal with on a daily basis when when a doctor asks, so on a level of one to 10, where are you today? 
and you're like, I don't know, banana? <laughs> like, I don't have a rational way to explain the fact that my fundamental perception is very warped. Mm-hmm. And the way Jason just realizes after a while, it's just pain. It is what it is. I'm still here. <laughs> and that's the Yuzhan Bonger seeing it as, oh, he's accepted our way or probably has. And Jason's realized, well, that's not actually going to be a distraction. And well, if my third eye is going to open anytime soon, I'm ready. <laughs> hmm. I have to laugh at it because I don't know what else to do with it. But yeah, yeah. I think the pain almost becomes a disguise for him, which I think is yeah. just another way to say that line about about Tahiri swimming in it. Like, it's not going to destroy you when your baseline is something that does destroy most people, but you still have things to do, and the world does not just stop because your body decided to implode. Mm. And I don't know if I don't know if Matthew Stover has any kind of experience with that or not, but it felt um Yeah, it felt like it. <laughs> I know I know that he was he did martial arts, so he had punish punishment to his body in some way. So that's uh, possible. I don't know. Um, But yeah, that was super striking to me and it's super relevant to like, not to to some of the things that I've experienced, not to that degree. Like it definitely hit me a lot harder in this read because last time I read this book was actually just before my body imploded on me. And then now, through this lens, I'm like, yeah, it is just pain. Whatever. Oh, wait! (laughs) Like I was saying about seeing something new every single time I read this book. (laughs) Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that goes to the core of who Jason is. Like, I think in a lot of things, um, this book defines... It's terms very carefully. It it sets down kind of rules like this is what pain is. This is how it acts in this story. This is what a ship is, right? There's a description in the beginning of like this is space, this is a ship. And I love that tone because it's very authoritative and because it's very much sets you up for like okay, you're defining this for a reason. You're not just defining this because you think the audience is dumb. Like, you're defining this because you're going to use this definition in in certain ways. And he also uses Jason, like, as a definition and changes what that definition is. And I think later in the book is when Roger actually asks Jason who he thinks he is. And he thinks immediately of his lightsaber. And then he answers, I'm a Jedi. And this disappoints Roger. And it doesn't really say why she's disappointed. I think maybe, to me, I immediately went, she's disappointed because the Jedi is an aspirational thing for him. It's something that Jason is, but it's also something that he is constantly and obsessively trying to be, which means that he's not residing in himself in the way that she would want him to. And um, that was, like, kind of relevant to me. He's too busy thinking about what he thinks he should be without ever thinking about why do I want to be that? Is that realistic? Is that even who I want to be? Is this what I really want or is this just what I think I want? Ouch. Ouch. 
just going to come at me like that, right? <laughs> <laughs> I think I just had this talk with my boss in my performance review, so... <laughs> <laughs> Jason is a, an overworked millennial. <laughs> just a little bit. Yes. Actually, yes. Jason and Jaina both feel intensely millennial to me. So uh, another kind of line that I pointed out here was... Um, you can't be fake and real. I don't remember if it's Jason or Roger that starts this conversation. It's it's them going back and forth. But it's you can't be fake and real at the same time. And then why not? And I just wrote this down because I was like, I have no answers. I have no I'm just I'm just amazed by this. Like so any thoughts about that? Or I'll just I just put that out there in an example as an example of like what the dialogue in this book is like. <laughs> It's such great dialogue. To me, that sounds like that sounds like a Jason line grumbling about how you can't be fake and real at the same time, and then Vergere's just sitting there. Why not? Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> her ongoing purpose in life is to make him question positively everything and troll the Yushanba. Yes, and and that's exactly it. I don't necessarily think that this is a question that like means anything per oh, no, se. No. This is not an answerable question. This is a little bit of trolling so that she can like get in under his skin. She does so much trolling. Oh yes, yes. I'm pretty sure that her actual job title in the Yushanbong is not familiar or advisor, but troll. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel like the troll. The yes, first third yes. of the book is her trolling Jason. The second third feels like it's her trolling Naminor, and the third one is just Ganner. <laughs> <laughs> With Verger occasionally trolling everyone, depending on what what else she might be doing. Yes. <laughs> yes. So that does bring us to the part with Ganner, where we get into um, Ganner is kind of on the space station looking for information about Jason because he's been missing for quite some time. Um, he finds Jason, and Jason captures him and brings him back to the Yusan Vong, and um, basically, fake goes to the dark side, like. He fake goes to the Yusan Vong side. He wants to convince the Yusan Vong that he's on their side, which is where we get the great line, Hear now the lore of the true way, I think. Let <laughs> <laughs> me make sure that's correct. Hang on. See, meanwhile, I thought you were going to go for the line of, Gan, are you dope? <laughs> I think that's also, also good and also in this book. It's, um... Wait, it's so... Perfect. It's so Jason trying to act and just hamming it up so hilarious. Yeah, it is. It is here now the lore of the true way. And then he's just like, Ganner, you're what are you doing? Don't you yeah. realize I'm making a fool of myself on camera, basically? <laughs> on View Spider. <laughs> and meanwhile, Ganner's just like, Yeah, I uh, I go to the gods with joy in my heart and uh <laughs> someone tell me my line. so there's kind of two questions here did jason join the yusan vong which i think is a solid no and did jason go to the dark side which i kind of also think is a no despite some of the stuff that he does in this book i think he's still um i saw someone recently on twitter and i wish i knew who this was but it respond to a whole conversation with a thing about some heroes are so guilt-ridden that they think they're villains. And I think that's who Jason is in this book. Yes. Um, I also didn't find his, like, trip to the dark side super convincing. 
because it was so dreamlike. But or or is that the point? Is that was do you think we were supposed to come away with the from this with the impression that he had never really fallen at all? I never it never even crossed my mind when I read the book that he fell to the dark side. No, because whatsoever. How can you fall to the dark side if it doesn't exist? And I think that again brings us back to the initial conversation we had about validity of beliefs and everything is. I, I almost feel like they're existing outside of things. And besides, he's dead. So, <laughs> I, yeah, to me, there there is no dark. There's no dark side. There's no light side in this. There's simply whatever the heck is going on here with mm-hmm. Roger. And you can't apply, you can't apply Jedi standards to this because it just doesn't work. Yeah, yeah, not in a meaningful way. yeah. Yeah, it yeah. exists completely outside the usual light and dark continuum. And no, I don't really, I don't think that Jason had a dark side encounter here because it is existing outside everything we know about force morality. It's, the phrase coming to mind is from TV tropes, blue and orange morality. Like, it's just so utterly outside of what we're used to seeing. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I don't really think that dark side fits within a system where uh, morality is very subject to change without notice and very real or not real. Yeah. But I think, Megan, you had a good point when you were saying about it being so dreamlike. Because it starts with Roger being like, you're dead. And then it sort of ends with him coming back to the land of the living. So I don't know. I, I'm I'm latched onto that. Yeah, I love that imagery and phrasing. The it's time for you to return to the land of the living. Mm-hmm. And also Ganner. Oh, Ganner, honey. Oh, Ganner. <laughs> yeah. So the admitting that they don't like each other. Oh, you were always a grandstander. Well, you were always a bleeding heart. Oh, well, we're the right two to actually get this done. And we're the only two, so good thing. <laughs> okay, the note there on, I love the nun shall pass scene. I, it's so well written. Yes. I'm that not is my... sure if shirtless is necessary to make that scene perfect, but okay, it still so... kind of makes me giggle because it's entertaining. I completely miss it. That's what happens. Until this read through, that I'm like, Ganner, why are you taking like, off your robe dramatically? Oh, Ganner, yeah. why are like, you just wearing tight pants? All that is not he, a thing. He does it, it intentionally. <laughs> it's not like it gets torn. It's not like Padme's outfit in the arena, even. Nope. He takes it off. He's <laughs> just going for it. I mean, if, listen, if you're going to become immortalized and be this not quite god, not quite demon hero known as the Ganner, why not do it shirtless? <laughs> Because that's, it's so theatrical and over the top, and it just feels so right for Ganner. If he has to die horribly in this, <laughs> he's like finally that. getting to be the hero he while, always wanted to grow up to be. Yeah, okay. While shouting a line from Lord of the Rings. Yeah. <laughs> this is, okay, so this is honest. I've been waiting to talk about this basically since the Stackpole books, because this is my favorite death in all of Star Wars, because it's so damn good and it's such it's such a perfect ending for ganner and i think he actually has the best well the second best character arc in the new jedi order because he goes from being that you know 
the brash kipter on wannabe hero who thinks he has everything figured out to understanding that he doesn't have everything figured out. And when his part of the book starts, he's the only one who seems to really believe in what he's hunting down because Jaina basically goes tell, tells him to go pound sand and but he keeps looking and he keeps hunting and then he has like we we're talking about that realization that he's the sidekick hero he's the one there to make sure um to make sure the hero can do his main job and in doing that yeah like rocky says in the notes he finally managed to be the hero he always wanted to be but it's also the hero he started out the series thinking he was yep hmm yeah i like that the way you describe that, because my kind of problem with this scene, I think it's really cool. It's like, it's very cool. But my kind of problem with his arc was that he um, kind of realizes that being the hero is not the right ambition for him in the same moment in which he becomes one, right? Like, he makes that realization but then he's still rewarded quote with that heroism but you as you said you're, you're kind of right he's the sidekick he gets one really awesome death but he's not the hero of the series overall yeah and i also think it makes a difference that he has no idea that he'll be remembered like he just thinks he's gonna be like all right bring it on i'll make a mountain of yuzen vong just to buy jason the time he needs it's not to me, there was never really an indication that he thought he would become the Ganner, like Berger says he becomes in their mythology. And I think that in itself is part of what makes it a truly heroic act. That like, makes I, sense. Yeah. yeah. Like, he basically becomes a legend, just going into it like, must buy time for Jason, must make a big mess, he, and yeah. gets turned into a legend. Yeah, he becomes a legend by accepting he is not one. It's the whole, like, heroes, a, her, a hero isn't someone who sets out to do a heroic act. A hero who's, is someone who does it because it's what needs to be done and they can't imagine not doing it. The, alternatively, going, they, <laughs> alternatively know what, they know it has to be done and they're going to do it, whatever. Whether or not somebody I've played asks. way too much Dragon Age lately and see people need to just not ask me anything about what heroes are. <laughs> I don't want to be the cynical one here, so I'm just going to not, I think. <laughs> but it's it's a beautiful scene, I think. It's just kind of like, if you, I, I don't know, he was supposed to learn a little humility, and in the course of his humility, he did something awesome, which is heroism, yes, but it is simultaneously not humility. Okay, I would counter that by saying he learned his humility years ago. Okay. Does that sort of make sense? Like, yeah. It, like, he figures he has that arc in the Stackpole books. Mm -hmm, his arc he, with Corrin, yeah. Yeah, and then when you get to the point when he goes on the uh, the suicide mission, he knows that he's on it partially to be the decoy. Mm -hmm. And he he's the decoy leader, and he I, I feel like part of him had to accept that he was not Mm. he's not the hero before he went on that that's a good point i hadn't been thinking about it as all the things he like the 
the things he went through physically, but also the kind of mindset that it was required for him to be the decoy in that in that mission. Yeah. Alternatively, I'm just a massive Ganner apologist who's a sucker for a Gandalf death. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a glorious death, though. Gan- Ganner, Gandalf. Now I'm like, what year did... That was fellow. Was that Fellowship of the Ring or? That's Fellowship. Yeah, this is two thousand and two. Yeah. This book, yeah. I mean, obviously, none. Yeah, sh- you know, you yeah. shall not pass. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's it's good. It's good. The the action scenes and stuff are written gloriously. They remind me a little bit of the Tartakovsky Clone Wars, where they're over the top, but like in a way that works. Yeah. yeah. I think I think there are a lot of over the top things in this book that work because well the general sense of unreality plus mm-hmm. where else could you be so over the top but basically a metaphorical journey through the underworld. Yeah. Where else? Like you don't have to be in reality when you're kind of going through the land of the dead here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good Love way. that good metafiction explanation. Good. <laughs> it, is, it is kind of amusing that this book comes after two Alston books, aka the author known for his humor. We get the <laughs> gut punch, rip your heart out, which Alston also does, but Stover has a special brand of it. So, speaking of the underworld, shall we talk about Yusantar a little bit? Yes! Oh, it boy. sounds so beautiful! Yes! So horrifying and so beautiful all at the same time. Yes, I very much, I don't know what's, why, what this means, but I very much find this image of the the city landscape completely taken over by plants to be, like, very calming, and even kind of the alien life forms and like the idea of not of not knowing what's around you is like kind of very calming to me it looks very beautiful and the uh the ideas in this book about where the yusan vang kind of where their religion stemmed from about how because their planet had this beautiful ring they were always kind of looking upward and always very quickly and, and passionately took to an idea of something above them acting in like overarchingly important ways like that's where that came from I thought that was a really cool idea the only other person I've seen do ideas like that is Terry Pratchett and the uh the stuff about like how the Yusunbong are kind of able to be comfortable on Yusuntar or that's the idea uh, in ways they weren't before is I just think really good and uh I agree with your note Rocky that we don't have nearly enough art of this Oh, there needs to be so much more art of Yuzhantar because this sounds so beautiful. Just a lot of a lot of the mental images that I had come from I feel like this was a history channel show, Life After People, in which you get like these beautiful CGI images of our modern cities but reclaimed by nature and overgrown. Or even if you ever watch urban exploration videos on YouTube or anything like that, just seeing overgrown buildings and places and there's something really beautiful about that and eerie at the same time and wow (laughs) we need way more art of this yes so 
we talked about the embrace of pain. I feel like although we started this show with talking about noises and smells and all the disgusting creatures, we haven't <laughs> actually discussed that much in the episode. I mean, honestly, the part with the like stomach creature where there's like oh. a city dystopian mole people society living inside the stomach of a creature was like real gross like i kind of don't want to think about it real gross but that was any, that other, was, uh... any other sound sights smells you'd like to inflict upon our audience <laughs> Ooh. Uh... oh i totally have Okay, in amongst all of my notes that say things like, so very Skywalker Solo extra. <laughs> Good. Good. Or, Nominor nopes away. <laughs> I feel like that's everything you really need to know about him. Yes, uh, absolutely. Um, Roger trolls, and then he nopes away. Pretty much. Yeah, just... Oh, I had at least some good things about Oh, yes, when Jason finds his way back home to his family's apartment and there are all sorts of weird plants and fungus and all sorts of horrifying oh, things. Oh, yes. Like, uh, I just remembered the fungus on the table. I hate it. I hate it a lot. Yeah. But also, pro potatoes? Was that the word that got used? Yes! <laughs> Why? It's apparently orange, and I don't know if I want to know what it is. Ah. <laughs> <sighs> Bad. Space <laughs> words are weird. Yeah. So, um, the last thing that... Oh, yes, uh, the world brain, which is apparently oh, yes. like a big bowl full of tentacles and slimy goop and other <laughs> horrific bowl. things that oh. we, we don't want to know, do we? Why did it have to be tentacles? I mean, and people say the new movies are obsessed with tentacles. We got your tentacles right here. Uh, we have more tentacles in the well of the world brain than you think you have in the new movies. Trust Take me. them back. <laughs> Take them back. I don't want this. <laughs> yeah, the world brain is basically tentacles, and Jason has now taught it to be grumpy and do whatever it wants. <laughs> yeah, Not taught it, love, taught it to be grumpy. The true mark of humanity. <laughs> Because if you're Yu Shanbong, you're going to be fanatical, and apparently if you've learned something about humanity, you're just going to kind of be grumpy and just go, nah, not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> so the last thing I wanted to bring up before we go into listener questions and such is, um, does this story need to be a subversion of Star Wars to work? And I brought this up because when I was reading some of the interviews that Stover did around the time of its publication, he did talk a lot about how it compares to other depictions of the Force in particular. And when I read this, I feel like this fits very well within the Star Wars canon. I don't think that it contradicts anything. It's its its own point of view. It's its own kind of pocket universe almost. Jason's dead, right? So it does not contradict anything that's outside, nor do I think it pushes a, like like I love Luke Skywalker and I don't find that this book like is uh like is unpleasant to my affection for Luke Skywalker's philosophy in any way. Um but as I was thinking about that I was wondering like 
does is it meaningful to ask whether this story would work if it didn't have an established moral framework to push against or would it then just push against like the judeo-christian framework or like did, uh, does this am i getting anywhere with this yes <laughs> i yeah especially first reading this book when i was fighting a negatively christian school environment yeah i can see i feel like i am not the only angsty teenager who understands that but like do you think it would work as well if it was an original novel no, about absolutely like, not it a would, fictional it would a fictional <laughs> you know what i mean i feel like a lot of I feel like a lot of the torture and gore is something that really wouldn't work as well. Plus, long philosophy tales are often going to be a tougher sell. I don't feel like it's necessarily turning the Star Wars universe on its head to the extent that some people think it does. It fits within the Star Wars universe. It's just that this is coming from a lot of a lot of Berger's philosophy is just coming from a totally different view of the Force than what we are used to seeing, but we're also used to being in a corner of the Star Wars universe where the good guys always win and save the day is kind of part of the storytelling format. And this is built to be a very different story in the first place. Mm -hmm. I feel like it would be a really tough sell as an original novel because I think you need a lot of the world building in the previous books to really make some of it make sense. I read Heroes Die, which is the first of Matthew Stober's um, fantasy series, and as you might expect from the title, it does a lot of these same things, kind of subversion of fantasy tropes a little bit, and this kind of pessimism that runs throughout it that is interesting, but is also a lot less interesting in an original world where it can come off as grimdark machismo Mm -hmm. As compared to in Star Wars, where it comes off as flavor to an ultimately hopeful saga, right? Yeah, makes sense. Um, I don't think this. I don't think these fantasy books are bad. I just didn't take to them in the same way. And like some people, like I, I think it's it's fine and actually sometimes like admirable to be good at working within a tie-in universe this way, like. It's not a bad thing to say, like, I like just time in books better. So, Rocky, you're uh, technically one half of this operation. You want to do the listener questions? Ooh. Ooh, okay. Odie has two of them for us. Question one, would you want a Matthew Stover book in the new canon? Of course! Yes. And if so, yes. what would you want it to be about? Uh, war stories, yes, of some sort. Ooh, I would really love, personally, I would really love something Old Republic era in the new canon. Ooh. My answer is oh. a cop-out. Oh? <laughs> Take Shatterpoint and make it canon. <laughs> yeah, good. Because I, I feel like the way you guys feel about Traitor is the way I feel about Shatterpoint. Like, that's the sober novel that just makes me want to die because of how good it is i also would answer yes to this question and i would love to see him write kylo ren like he's written anakin he's written jason he needs to write kylo ren and and how does kylo feel that like 
dark side dragon that was described in the Revenge of the Sith, or or does he not? Does he want to and actually can't? Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> there was actually how many times I cried while reading the Revenge of the Sith novel. Please, please, I hope this happens. <laughs> and this I feel like, like there was actually a conversation in here between Jason and Vergera where I was like, huh, isn't that interesting compared to what we know about Ben Solo? And I would almost even take this and say, I don't want him to write Ben Solo. I want him to write Kylo Ren. You know, I agree. like I agree make it a entirely. little self contained post fall story. It could also yes. be the story of the fall, but yeah. Yeah, I, I think it was like post fall is going to be the most interesting, and I'm very, very interested. Alternatively, give me both. Yeah, give yeah. me the after and the with flashbacks to what happened during his fall. Hmm, I'm interested. I also, I think it would be. I, I'm just. I feel like. Okay, so I think it would be my dream to see, especially my dream of 2002, 2001, to see him write uh, Darth Maul. I feel like that happened at one point, and I don't think it actually did. I think I made that story in my head. I think uh, you I don't did. think he's ever actually <laughs> written that. I just, I just know what that would be like. <laughs> so that's my other choice. Yeah, I'm still sticking with Old Republic era, though now you mention it, yes, Kylo Ren specifically would be fascinating. <sighs> and oh, question two from Odie. How comparable do you think this is to Dante's Inferno? I've heard that parallel brought up before. Well, I already mentioned my my part of, ta-da, that light bulb went on <laughs> today. <laughs> yeah. Megan, you actually did the homework, right? Well, I was going to do the homework, but then my internet cut out right oh, at the right. time when I was going so, to do the homework. Yeah, and so I also, I was also thinking of, like, a stanza, I think that's the proper word, from Dante's Inferno, roughly translated as, if I thought I were telling the story to one who would return, I would never say anything, but since nobody gets back from hell, I can say whatever I want. Ooh. Yes. Ooh. I, I, that is... A very rough, modernized translation of a stanza from Dante's Inferno. See Twitter for more details in a few minutes on that. And that well, is Well, it'll already be up there. Yes, so maybe yes. see Twitter a few days ago. <laughs> oh, yes, yes, whatever. <laughs> something, something, time warp, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Verger but, and Virgil are very comparable. Yeah, I just realized their yeah. names actually sound similar. <laughs> I'm positive I've heard that brought up multiple times before, and well, she is indeed the guide through the lands of the dead. <laughs> yep. Yeah. We could probably go and do, like, which circle of hell is which part of the story, probably, <laughs> but we haven't... I thought I was trying to stay on task tonight. <laughs> we, forgot to, we, we forgot to do the homework. I know, that would have been the homework, but Limbo my internet decided that I couldn't do that. One of them is heresy. The last what one is deep. treachery, so that would that's fitting, what right? Nominor, breath. Well, Jason too, because he betrays. Oh yeah. He, they think he was on their side. Violence, and then. Yeah, so that works. Well, then <laughs> I don't know about fraud. Treachery definitely works. Heresy. Wait. Wrath. Sorry, I'm going backwards now. Gre- well, greed is how Wikipedia is calling it. Instead of fraud. 
Yeah, no, fraud is, is eight. That I am. Wait, hold on. I'm trying to scroll. I'm on. This is how, how much of a learned scholar I am. I'm currently on Wikipedia. I mean, so am I, because that's scrolling fast enough. <laughs> yeah. Eight is fraud. Four is greed. Huh. These are all actually Full Metal Alchemist characters. Well, I guess. I mean, hmm. It depends on how much you can. I, I if you could stretch the meaning of fraud into some sort of deception. Mm, like Ganner actually, no, that works then the because I mean, that does no. Ganner is work. the violence. Ganner is the violence. The fraud is his fake conversion. Okay. Yeah, and then his treachery is the actual act of of corrupting, corrupting the yep. Good. Great. Nice. That works. Who are the three heads in there, guys? Wait, who do the three heads belong to? That's what I'm trying to figure out. Okay. Um Okay, that's too much to do on the fly. I can't do it. <laughs> yeah, that might require a little more thinking than I'm at present able to have up and running. Yeah, <laughs> obviously Anakin is one of them. I'm sorry for not having done the homework, but maybe we'll look at this more later and talk about it on Twitter. Traitors. Okay, <laughs> all right, move on before I start to do this. <laughs> all right, so before we go on a Renaissance Italian literature kick, <laughs> question from Nancy. How did you rank Ganner's Last Stand among other Star Wars deaths? Well, <laughs> we kind of answered this one already. Yeah, it yeah. was amazing. It's up there. It's one of the most memorable. Is it? Is it up there again? Oh, never mind. You guys don't X-wing as much as me. <laughs> no, sorry. I, that oh, was, it's that fine. Went over my head. Like an I, I was referencing a death in the X-wing series by saying it's up there again. Okay, fine. Odie and Nancy will appreciate what I just did. Let's move on. <laughs> okay. It's my number one death. This one is Ganner. Sorry. It is truly one of the best out there. I personally adore it. Yep. Yeah, top three for sure. Don't ask me who the other two are. Well, my number two is Thrawn. Yes. I don't know what my number three Hmm. is. Hmm. Actually, my third might be Ton. Yeah. Anyways. <laughs> Do we have so another like, question? <laughs> why got yeah, just read another question. <laughs> oh yeah. Next question. Daniel has asked us, how do you compare Jason going darkness to Jaina's experience with the dark side in the past few books? Especially his weird experience inside the acid trip worm with stored food people. So oh, Jaina yes. actually had a brush with the dark side. I'm still shocked it was as minor in the big scheme of things as it was. Jason, however, is not existing in a world where the dark side exists. So therefore, uh, this is a little complicated. <laughs> yeah, Rocky this is, said. <laughs> it's interesting because I think Jaina, Jason objectively did some pretty horrible things. He didn't mind wipe as many people as Jaina did. His circumstances were worse. His actions were had larger impacts. But yeah, they're so different. If if we're talking like which one was worse or something, I don't think that's really like a question that we can answer. 
but in terms of like how it experience how it impacts both of them i think that jason is experiencing and undergoing a lot of suffering where jaina is inflicting suffering and they mm-hmm. both deal with those things in different ways, which arguably is like an interesting, I don't think it was intended as this, but as I speak it out loud, it's arguably an interesting like gender flip, right? Cause it's often the other way around, but I don't really think that was meant to be that way. Yeah, I'd definitely say that Jaina fell quite a bit further into the dark side, and I'm definitely impressed that she gets out of it in as close to one piece as she does. Yeah, and the acid trip worm with its stored food people. Okay, this book has so much nightmare fuel in it, let's be honest. <laughs> the description of food people. I don't like that at all. Neither do I. All right. Next question. Jamie actually has two. Question one. When you first read the series, do you remember if you believed Leia's insistence that Jason was still alive? I, I was spoiled. I knew Jason yeah. was alive. so my earliest distinct memory of the new jedi order was seeing the article about it in insider because i think at that point i wasn't reading the new jedi order stuff and i think i still have that copy of insider somewhere at my parents house but it was a big interview with stover and everything so i i was spoiled for star by star and it's still i mean granted i didn't I don't think I went back and read the NJO for like another year or or maybe a couple more months, but yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I don't exactly remember, but I was definitely a little bit behind and kind of in the world where I would have gotten spoilers from things like Insider. So probably, but I don't remember. It was a long time ago in a galaxy that's literally right here. (laughs) It was a long time ago in a galaxy a few towns up the street. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And ooh, the final question from Jamie. Oh boy. Do you you feel like Fergere has any redeeming qualities and what? Yeah. Oh boy. (laughs) How much Um, time do I have now? No. (laughs) No. (laughs) Oh boy. Yeah. I mean, basically, just listen to every other episode of this podcast we have recorded. Yes. <laughs> she's clever. She's uh, personable. She, uh, she's a philosopher. She's a philosopher. Mm-hmm. She's um, a fascinating philosopher and a truly impressively talented troll. Mm-hmm. And uh, she... She does not act like she is afraid of any of the people around her. She works inside the horrible alien pain monger society for like seven years and then like talks Jason through an existential crisis. Yes, those are and all very she's helped create. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and really makes him think. And manages to completely mess with and troll all of the leading Yuzhanbong, where Savangla at one point knows everyone's afraid of him, and Berger's just sitting there trolling him. She's the chess master throughout. There is a scene, I think a few books ago, was this Star by Star? I'm almost positive it was, 
where Bergera and Namanor are. Yes. No, Bergera and Savangla are sitting there playing Dejaric chess. Yes. And I'm thinking, really, what took them so long to get to this? <laughs> this was their, a usual Saturday afternoon for them. <laughs> what took them so long to get to this metaphor? <laughs> yeah, like, seriously, you know they've been doing this, like, on a pretty regular basis, right? Right. Seems like sort of hobby they would both have. Indeed. So, yeah. <laughs> Good. So, yes, all of her qualities are redeeming, including, not including the murderous ones, but most of them. Oh, okay. So there was a part, I didn't bring this up before, but there's a part where it's mentioned that only females of Vergero's species use their tears, and they use them to heal the males. And this is one of those things that's just never explained or mentioned again. I just wanted to note that. You know, I'm okay with it not being mentioned or explained ever again. Oh, no, I don't Me think... Me too. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's one of her redeeming qualities. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> Sometimes right. I wonder if some of those little things like that are just totally fake. <laughs> not part of our canon. Or just, she's saying these things just to throw people off. I mean, she could probably tell Yu Bong something like, oh yeah, by the way, on Wednesdays we all wear pink in my species, and they would probably believe her. <laughs> probably. <laughs> they have no reason not to. Especially when she says, you can't sit with us. Exactly. <laughs> okay, I'm getting even weirder than average. <laughs> Do you want to do the counters? I think so. So, Jedi deaths, 18 plus Ganner, that is now 19. I don't think we had any other dead Jedi this time, but we also had a very short cast list this time. Or did we? Does Jason <laughs> count as a Jedi death? Yes, no, because he, he came comes back. back to life, so... <laughs> okay. I don't He's know. fine. He, he got bad. Yeah, he He's got He's not dead yet. Yeah. Yeah, he feels great. <laughs> uh, only three Nogri deaths. Somehow that number seems a little low, but... I don't uh, understand how that number is that number, but... That number is... I don't know, I can't count that high. One, two, five, whatever. No additional ones that we are aware of. And Kip's a jerk references. If anyone keeps count through Dark Journey, you're doing better than we are. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the amount of fanfic ideas suggested... There is a chart somewhere around. That there. one also has the art ideas. Odie made it chart, for us. I believe. Yes. It's in the last show notes, but. Someone asked whether it was public and I asked Odie whether it was public and I don't remember what happened after that. So we'll get back to you on that one. <laughs> we'll figure yeah. it out. But if you happen to have a get along shirt that Nominor and Berger fit in, that would be amazing. <laughs> Excellent. And, oh, where can we all be found on social media? So, I can go. Um, I can be found at words on Twitter. That's, uh, that's about it. I write for Den of Geek, Star Wars Insider, and StarWars.com, and I talk about Destiny a lot on Twitter. See, I am Chaos Bria on Twitter. I read over at Tashi Station, StarWars.com, and sometimes in the back of your Star Wars Marvel comics. And basically, you can find me on Twitter yelling about Dragon Age and only Dragon Age. 
Let's see, you can find me on Twitter as Lady Darth Kytus, yelling about occasional Star Wars, World of Warcraft, all sorts of cars, all sorts of other things that come to my mind. A long, long time ago, I had written for 1138. Who knows, someday I'll even come out of retirement, I swear. And I've also appeared on the Of Dice and Droids podcast. And this podcast is distributed as a part of the Tashi Station Network. This podcast has been brought to you in part by your support on Patreon. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe to the Tashi Station Radio Mega Feed or to the Throncast feeds on iTunes for more episodes. Join us next time when we read Destiny's Way by Walter John Williams. You can read and tweet along with us by using hashtag Vomcast, though I particularly realized it may not be spoiler-free. Sorry about that. And thanks for listening.